The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg. Well, I don't know if to shed tears or to rejoice with you, but I invite your attention to Mark chapter 16 this morning, the final sermon from the Gospel of Mark that started on January the 1st of 2017. You have not aged a bit, let me tell you, uh, but you are invited to that page. If you do not have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along with us and Mark chapter 16. If you're visiting with us, we have been in this on and off relationship in a good way with the book of Mark, and uh, we close it out today. And, and as we do, I want to tell you, we are working on the shirts that say, I uh, enjoyed the gospel at Mark at Tower View Baptist Church, and you can buy one, and all the money will go to support our missionaries in uh, areas where you know where they're at. So uh, you look forward to those shirts, and it will be good. Uh, you all don't seem as excited about this as I am, so uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll leave it there. As you turn there, though, I do want to remind you, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're able to get to a church, please do uh, be faithful. Uh, but uh, guys, I appreciate you all who are able to come. We know there's some who can't. There's travel, there's, there's sickness, there's illness, but thank you for your presence today. Well, I know you'll be very attentive if, if Amy puts this next photo up because every one of you is going to have a story about where you were when that kneecap broke. And so uh, here is your great leader, uh, not Christ, but uh, in Kansas City terms, your other great leader named Patrick Mahomes. And many of you know there is a task unfinished for him, isn't there? The task unfinished for him is to bring home that Lombardi trophy back in February so that you can say we finally won another championship in Kansas City. But it's also a regular uh, Sunday in Kansas City, which means there's another injury, so it's time to look forward to the Royals. So uh, pitching starts in four months, so if you're a Chiefs fan, um, I don't know what's going to happen. And some of y'all are giving me the evilest looks right now as if anything is going to come flying at me at this point. Well, Patrick Mahomes, your famous quarterback, our famous quarterback, uh, was had a task unfinished and unfortunately got hurt. And friends, that is the topic I want to talk about today. That was merely just for your attention, by the way. Uh, but the topic today I want to talk about is the task unfinished. As members of Tower View, you've probably felt that the greatest task unfinished was the preaching through of the Gospel of Mark. Amen? And that's what it is. We've gone through 2.75 years, over 100 sermons, with an average sermon time of 41 minutes. So there you have it, all right? Don, wherever you are, Don Harrison, that's not your 25-minute sermon. So get over yourself, brother. You can come to my office afterwards. Get over it. It is what it is. But as Christians, we have a greater unfinished task, don't we? We have a task to reach the nations with the gospel. And as Amy will put up there, you know these words well, Matthew 28. Matthew 28 makes it very clear to us that Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's what we call the Great Commission, right? 
sometimes called the great omission because we know to go, but we don't go. And as we enter this last stage of the book of Mark, I want to remind you that this is what they're called to do. Our Savior said it is finished in terms of salvation, but the job of evangelizing, taking the gospel to the nations is a task that is still unfinished. And so for now, we must be about our Savior's business. We must be about telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. So this last section of Mark, what does it teach us about that task, about who we are in that task and who Christ is through that task? What do we learn about the unbelief of the disciples in here? And how do we learn from the faithfulness, once again, of these ladies who continue to show up even when the men back down? So this morning, our big idea is simply this, is that God has called us out of the world by the gospel to go back into the world with the gospel. And that is our chief task here today. And God has called us to do that. You know, someday I hope our church can be as aggressive in evangelism as people like True Green and other lawn services this time of year are about trying to get their foot on my lawn and me paying them for it. I hope that we're as aggressive about the gospel as we are when we talk about our favorite sports teams. I hope that we're as aggressive about the gospel with love, respect, and humility and boldness as we are about whatever floats our boat and makes us happy. I pray we do that even more to the glory of God. So this morning, we are just walking through these verses, very cleanly walking through these verses, eight truths about the unfinished task. If you're able to stand, if you're visiting with us, uh, or a regular attender, we'll stand in honor of the reading of God's word if you're able this morning. And we will start in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Before you say, well, Darren, there's a, there's a, there's a parenthesis or a bracket or a, a bullet note or an asterisk, and there's some funny writing by these verses. What does that mean? We'll get there, guys. Hold your thought. Let's read the scripture. We'll do some explanation after the prayer. We'll get to our sermon and we will average probably 40 to 41 minutes by God's glory. But the gospel of Mark will be done. Amen? <laughs> Amen. All right. Let's read our scripture together. Mark 16, 9 through 20. Hear God's word. And it says, Now when he, when Jesus arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd cast out seven demons. She was told, or she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive, he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12, and after these things, Jesus appeared in another form or to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they were, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14, and afterwards he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they, speaking of the disciples, had not believed those who saw Jesus after he had risen. And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by signs and uh, accompanying signs and wonders at that stage. All right, guys, this is a day that you will forever remember 
because this is the last one in the book of Mark. More importantly, it's God's word. We're here to hear that, aren't we, this morning? Let's pray together, and let's bow our heads, and I'll open it up this morning. Father, thank you for our time. Father, we joke about the ending of Mark, but what a joy it really has been. We've seen, Lord, your hand working in so many ways. There's so much that we could be said about this, but give us wisdom in this last message. Father, may the gospel be clear. May our task be clear. Father, may your word and your glory be uplifted high. We pray this in Jesus' name, that God's people said. Amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, the big elephant in the room, right? You, how many of y'all have brackets? We don't usually do participation polls. How many of y'all have some sort of bracket, asterisk, footnote in your Bible around verses 9 through 20? Would you just raise your hand? I think the majority of y'all have. I'm just curious, how many of y'all are using the King James Version of the Bible? King James Version. It's a handful, a good number, about 5 10%. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. Most English translations, before we get into this, are going to bracket this off. They're going to put a footnote that the most respected Greek manuscripts do not contain these verses. Well, what's interesting is, is, and not mentioned, is that the majority of them actually do. And even going back to, I'm going to be really geeky, Craig, uh, we had a chance here to be geeky for a minute, so... In the Latin, in the Vulgate, in the Syriac, in the, all the famous translations, we have these verses. In fact, these verses were quoted by Irenaeus, by Ambrose, by Augustine, by Clement of Rome, by Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, by Eusebius, by Jerome, and etc., 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 etc. And yet we don't think, some people do not believe these verses should be in the Bible. Guys, I'm going to stand here and tell you that I believe in the long ending of Mark. Now, you may disagree with that, and that's okay, but I want to tell you these verses can be dealt with in the context of Scripture. That's how we study the Bible, isn't it? I mean, some of y'all were like, man, are we in some backwoods church here? Here come the deadly snakes and the poison. Well, we got those in the baptistry today, just so you know. And some of y'all said, you saw that phrase in there, uh, be baptized and be saved. Well, pastor, I thought only Jesus saves us. Yes, he does. Friends, everything we're looking at in verses 9 through 20 can easily be related to or explained from other parts of Scripture that have these instances. And so that's what we're going to walk through today. So I don't want you walking away saying, well, my Bible says this really isn't the Bible. Guys, this is the Word of God, right? This is what it says. We're going to preach through it. I will be honest, and and I'm looking at at some of these brothers who've been in seminary, sisters, this is probably the minority view. Because if you were to go to seminaries today, they would teach you this this is probably not something you should preach through. But we're going to preach through it, okay? So you can burn me to the cross afterwards, but we're going to preach through it. And you're going to celebrate because we're done with the book of Mark, amen? So here we go. Let's jump into it. If I've confused you more, um, the Chiefs aren't playing today. We've got four and a half hours for the business meeting. Come to our house and have some pizza, and we'll, we'll, we'll hash it out, all right? We'll figure it out. First truth I want to do, this is just straight from the Scripture is that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene. Did you see that in verse 9? And once again, Jesus, and we know this from other gospel writings, is that Jesus was risen on that first day. It says, now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. This is amazing. Again, this is a woman who should not have had any business being in the Bible, yet she's the first one, the first person to whom he appears is the one who was once demon-possessed. And according to John, she was standing outside the tomb, sobbing over the fact that Jesus was dead. John 20, 15 says, Jesus said, Woman, why are you weeping? And we know that woman he was speaking to was none other than Mary herself. This woman at one time had been demon-possessed. 
Yet the Lord in Luke 8 had touched her life, and she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. What grace this is. What amazing grace this is. Guys, we do not believe that Christians can be demon-possessed, okay? Hashtag Halloween sermon, right? But we do not believe that demons can possess Christians. If you're a Christian, you are possessed by a greater power and a greater authority, the one to Satan bows to. You're possessed by the Spirit of God, saved and sealed through Christ's death, and is called out by the Father. That's what we believe. So when Mary comes to him on this verse 9, she is not possessed by demons. She has been radically saved through Jesus Christ, simple faith in Christ. And what grace that is. And I want to remind you that this is true. And Amy, you can throw this up. Underlying, and I've hit on this in almost three weeks in a row. I just want to be clear in this. But underlying Jesus' ministry was the radical assumption that women have enormous value and purpose. Men, did you catch that? Women have enormous value and purpose. Women, please forgive us for, for, for not leading you as we should as men, as the scripture talks about, but even more so for demeaning you at times. There's, there's, there, if you're on the Twitter land, you know that John MacArthur's embroiled in a topic over this, and you can chase that rabbit all day. But the fact of the matter is, lady, you're not second class. The fact of the matter is we need you in this church. And the fact of the matter is God has called you to serve in this church in various and sundry ways. And we praise God for that, don't we? Because without the women in our life, guys, we would be a wreck and a half. And this place would probably have been burnt down the very first day we stuck into it because we fight it all out and duke it out and thank God for ladies. But I want you to know that Jesus used ladies as illustrations that women were going to be at the second coming. They searched for, for things in his parables, that the women always have value. And as we take the task unfinished out to the world, we need to remember, ladies, that you are also called to that task. Do you know that 80% of our missionaries who are single on the field right now are ladies and 20% are guys? Why is that? I would argue partly because the women have more courage than the men to step out and be faithful for Jesus Christ. Ladies, thank you for your faithfulness. And the very first person to identify herself with this dead guy, Jesus, was Mary, and she stood by the truth. And that's truth number one. Mary was the first one to the tomb. Truth number two, coming from verse 10, I want you to see this, is that the disciples refused to believe in Mary's words. Look at verse 10. It says, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And verse 11 picks it up. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. They would not believe it. And this goes along with Luke 24, 11, which says, These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it. Or John 20, 25, when the disciples told them, We have seen the Lord, but Thomas said, Unless I see the handprints in, and the, the mark of the nails in place, my fingers there and my hand in his side, I will never believe. The close disciples were gathering and mourning, and Mary went to tell them, and they did not believe her at all. Amazing, isn't it? They basically called her a liar and refused to look at it. And these disciples of Jesus Christ, they refuse to believe that he has risen from the dead. They, they're mourning and weeping, and rather than believe the truth, they wallow in their depression. And God uses this faithful lady to share the gospel with them. And that's why I want to remind you this morning, and Amy will throw this up. These are quick little points. But prior to the resurrection, the disciples acted cowardly and in fear and, and, and even were rebuked by Jesus. 
But after the resurrection, they were indomitable defenders of the faith. Look, you can be all about religiosity, and you can be all about Christianity, but until you have experienced the risen Christ, there's no power of God in your life. There are so many things in this world that until you experience Christ, you will never see. People, there are going to be more religious people thrown into the bowels of hell by God himself on judgment day because they got a little bit of religion and they got none of Jesus. These disciples had to be rebuked, and we'll get to that in a minute, but Mary was the one who went to them, and she didn't believe it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and I don't presume to know everyone in this room off the cuff, and people are telling you about Jesus, don't believe unlike the disciples, or like the disciples, believe like Mary did, and believe that he is risen, and he he is who he said he was. Take a serious look at the resurrection. And like Thomas, you can know that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you can know there is a living Savior, and his name is Jesus. Truth number three, Jesus appeared to two walking on a country road. Not only did he appear to Mary, not only did they not believe Mary, but did you notice verse uh, 12 here? It says, and after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. This is one of the arguments for why these verses should probably be conceived and and brought into the Scripture. Do you know the story? Do you remember the story? It's Luke 24. It's the road to Emmaus. You may recall that. They were walking along the road, and these men were talking, and they just couldn't believe how crazy things had gone down, that this man they had celebrated Jesus coming into the city had now been crucified by the people of the city through the Romans. And yet here in verse 12, we see the truth that Jesus appeared to two walking along the country road. Do you remember this? And, he, and Jesus walks with them, and he said, what's going on? Why are you so upset? And they're like, dude, have you been hiding under a rock or something? Where you been? Have, do you have no idea what's going on? And Jesus kind of plays coy and dumb, and, and they get back to eat, and they get ready to eat. And, and the scripture says in Luke 24, when Jesus got ready to bless the food, his, his sleeve kind of did one of these things and came down, and they noticed that he was pierced. And then at that moment, he explained to them from the prophets and the law and everything about the Bible. And it says that Jesus opened their minds to believe the truth. Love that. Friends, the resurrection shows us, and Amy will put this up, the resurrection shows us that all of Scripture is about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. These two men who walked along the road, it says in Luke 24, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You are witness of these these things, and behold, I'm sending you out to do just this. The task unfinished started with knowing the scriptures. The task unfinished started with believing the simple message. The task unfinished started with remembering that the scripture is all about Christ. You know, church, uh, some of y'all have been here more than my tenure. The reason that we have come back over the years to the Explore the Bible Sunday School small group material, do you know why we did that? Because we want you to see that even in Leviticus, especially Leviticus, even in Song of Solomon, even in Jude, even in these weird books that you don't ever go to, it's all about Jesus. Amen? The scripture is not a moral code. Do you remember those magic eight balls? They still sell those things? 
And you know what I'm talking about? Those magic eight balls you go to Toys R Us or Walmart. I don't even have Toys R Us anymore. Walmart or Target to get, and you kind of swish it around, and it comes up with your fortune. Do you remember those? It's the poor man's version of a tarot card reading, and don't get into that stuff anyway. And they put those out. That's how a lot of people read the Bible. You know that old story, don't you? The guy randomly opens the Bible, and it says, Jesus what? Jesus hung himself. You know the story? And then he goes, whoa, 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 that can't be right. So he, he randomly opens the Bible again, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. <laughs> be careful how you read the Bible. But as you read the Bible, know it's all about Jesus Christ. And these two who walked along the road heard from Jesus himself, you're going to take this message and send it out to the nations. It's all about me, is what Jesus said. Truth number four, not only did they, Jesus appear to two walking on the road, but here it is again, truth number four, the, the disciples didn't believe the two witnesses. They didn't believe Mary, and they didn't believe the two witnesses. Notice verse 13. And they, those two guys, went back and told the rest. Who's the rest? The disciples and the other uh, uh, minor disciples, if you will. But they did not believe them. Christ had told them that in three days he would rise again. We looked at that at least five times in the book of Mark. Yet they did not believe Mary when she came. They did not believe these two who saw him in the flesh. And the reason they did not believe them is because they had a different view of what the Savior should be. They had a different view of what they wanted Jesus to be. And therefore, they were not prepared for who he actually was. After all, they had seen Jesus do, but they still did not believe. And friends, that is a great reminder to us as well. If we're going to believe Jesus for all that he is, we need to take him at his word. Some of the hardest truths of Scripture are some of the things we have looked through in the book of Mark. And as we take this task to the nations, we need to remember that God has given us all we need for life and godliness. We don't need another word from some guy who claims to be a prophet. We don't need a guy who says he has a vision telling us something in addition to God's word. We have enough truth in here to go to the nations until God calls us home. We have enough truth here to go and share with everyone that here who needs to hear the gospel message. But Amy, and you can throw this up, but God often finds ironic ways to turn even our unbelief into an opportunity for his faithfulness. You ever been there before? God, I've been praying and praying and praying, and I just don't know if you're there to answer me. Or God, I prayed for this person to come to Jesus, and I'm just going to give up on him, Lord, because you know what? You haven't answered me yet, so therefore, we're not going to be ready to go. God often finds ways when we are befuddled, when we're confused, and we are ready to be done, to come alongside and say, boom, there it is. I shared a couple weeks ago that uh, our, our evangelism team has been praying for open doors on Tuesday mornings, like literally, like doors to literally open up when we knock on their doors. Guys, we had over 30, or excuse me, over 20 doors in over 40 houses last week open up. Those are better odds than the Chiefs have of winning the Super Bowl. 50-50, right? <laughs> Come on, guys. Y'all are really sad about that, aren't you? I think you are. Uh, there's no Chiefs game today. Come to the members meeting at 4.30. But you... <laughs> there's another plug. But you need to remember this. As you go out, there will be times where you will be like the disciples and you will think, God could not save this city. God could not save this people. God could not work through me, through this group, to reach these people. And God reminds you that that is often the times that he works the largest is when your unbelief is the greatest. You say, well, don't we have to believe in him for him to work? Yes, in a way. But it's often through your hard-heartedness that he smashes that and shows you who he really is and what he's capable of. 
And these disciples refused to believe that. That's truth number four. Go to truth number five. Truth number five is that Jesus appears to the eleven and rebukes them for their unbelief. Look at this in verse 14. Afterwards, after he had gone and Mary had seen him, after he had been on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to the eleven themselves, verse 14, and they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. Wait, whoa, 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 stop there. Jesus never rebukes anyone, does he? Jesus loves us, right? Jesus is just going to give you a big bear hug at the end of the day, and he's going to pat you on the back and say, good boy, I see you. Well done, good and faithful guy. Isn't that what he here, he's here to do? I want you to look at that verse again. Who did the rebuking? Look at this, guys. After he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he, who's the he? It's Jesus, rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Why? He tells you why. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Friends, God's care, Amy, you can throw this up. God's care comes in many forms. Rebuke is God caring enough to help you see yourself as you really are. These men were proud. They were with Jesus. They were at the crucifixion. They were, they were, they were stumbling over themselves, but they were disgraceful. They were supposedly his best guys, and they don't believe a lick of what he told them about what he was going to do. But Jesus doesn't rebuke us, guys, from having desires or dreams or hopes. He rebukes us when we are opposite of his word and reorients us back to himself. And I want you to know, as this task unfinished, as we take the gospel to the nations, that God will often rebuke your unbelief. I mean, guys, look around the culture today. It's crazy. It's messed up. And we live in a culture that is just ridiculous. We don't even watch the news anymore. My wife's here. We don't have a TV uh, we have our phones and probably some more times on our phones than we would a TV anyway. But one thing that's true, no matter where you look at the news, it's terrible. I mean, it really is. I don't care what you think about the presidential situation. Our, our country right now is as divided as it, it's ever been probably in a long time. There are people who are, you know, just shooting up each other. There's people who are beating each other, robbing each other. It's just crazy out there. And I thank the Lord for safe places like Tower View where we can congregate and come together. But I also want to remind us, too, that like this, God will often remind us that those are the people we need to reach. And if you're like me, you just look at that and say, there ain't no hope for them. Hey, really? Look around. God, what can you do here? God, if you're really God, why are you not reaching in here and helping us? Why are you not reaching through us, God? We're trying, but God, the culture gets worse. Guys, these disciples had to be rebuked before they could take the gospel to the nations because they didn't see that God's hand was over everything. God owns everything, and he says every square inch is mine. Nothing is his. They may steal it for a moment, but God has it for eternity. And when we take the gospel to the nations, we need to remember that God may rebuke our faith such that we need to remember that he is in control and we are not talking this last week to Aaron, one of our missionaries, and, and he said, you know, he said, Pastor, if you could pray for one thing, his, uh, I, I keep, I, and that's why you all get random texts each day of the month. I have a few names we pray through uh, for our church and uh, staff and otherwise, but he said, you know, Pastor, pray for me. I, you know, I was back there in the States for a while. I'm back in the country. I'm serving, and, and, and it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. We are one of the few Christians in the city, and yet we're supposed to reach this city. Would you pray for me that I have the belief that God can do it? Not because I'm able, but because he's able. What a prayer. What a young man praying a prayer that needs to be had.
And as an aside, this isn't in the scripture, but I want to remind us too, this is why, as a church-level issue, that we have church discipline, guys. This is why that if Jesus himself rebukes us for our unbelief, that as a church we're called also to rebuke those in love and humility who have ceased to be among us when they said they would. And we need to be reminded of that as well. It all is in love. Truth number six. Jesus gives the commission to eleven to preach the gospel. Do you see that? Verse 15. Here it is, verse 15. And he says to them, go. So he rebukes them because they didn't believe these folks. But then he goes on to say, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Stop right there. What an awesome task. Isn't that? Praise the Lord. Take the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Does this mean you go and preach the gospel to the birds? Because it says every creature, right? Or go and look for the mysterious Bigfoot, which we can't seem to find up in the Pacific Northwest, or the swamp man down in the Southeast? No. Creature here means every person. Friends, we don't need to share the gospel with animals. We don't have a bless the animals day, but we do have a bless the sending of the missionaries day, right? Because we know every creature needs the gospel. Last week at our, 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 our Clay and, and Doug and, and Cindy, you can help me with this, but our, our director of missions, Dr. Gary Mathis, shared that there are over, I think, brother, sister, 200,000, I think, in the Northland. I could be wrong. There's a lot of people in the Northland. And right now, if we combine all of our Baptist churches together, about 40, 45, I think it is, that we would have 2% of all that population in an average church on a Sunday morning. And if we planted, and again, Doug or Cindy, I may be wrong here, I think if we planted another 100 churches this next year, that we would get it up to, I think, 7 to 10%, somewhere in there, of the average population here. In the Northland, guys, there are 20,000 people in Baptist churches. That's not including sister churches that are like-minded, different denomination, we would say are in the faith. The task is crazy. Wherever you go in the Northland is a mission field. If your heart is more to reach the nations, but you're not reaching your own backyard, be careful. You need to reach the people who are right in front of you. Is that wrong to go to the nations? Not at all. We sent out Brother John and, and so many others in the last few weeks, but let's be faithful here. But but pastor, it says, but preach the gospel. I'm not a pastor. What this means is you go and share the gospel. Don't just hand them a cup of water and say, have a good day. Here's a cup of water. Do you know Jesus Christ? Not just can I pray for you, but do you know the God to whom we pray? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? If you died today, where would you spend eternity? These are great questions. And he tells them to go. Notice that he says very clearly, go. Not sit and wait, but go. Christian, the greatest task we have unfinished is the task in our hearts to see the task before us. That there is a real need for people to know Christ. I stand guilty as you. We have neighbors that we need to talk to about Jesus. We have people at the checkout line. We need to know people. Quick trip, they get you in and out so quick, you don't even think you can say hi before they're on to like the next 10 people, right? But they're so quick. But wherever it is, Take a gospel track. There are gospel tracks out there. You grab one. You take one with you and say, you know, here's a gospel track. Don't be funny. Don't put it on the toilet paper bin or don't put it in between the gas station pumps. Just take a gospel track and talk to someone about Jesus this week. You'd be amazed. You want to see this church grow numerically? Then be faithful to share the gospel exponentially. God will bless it. God will bless it. But what about that next phrase? Amy, you can go ahead and put that, that phrase up. I'm going to uh, we're to verbally tell the gospel. But what about that next phrase? This is going to trip some of you all up as we go to the task. I mean, we're supposed to go, Pastor, we know that. But, but what about verse 15 and 16? 
because it says, go and proclaim the gospel. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So what about baptism? Pastor, does baptism save us? The answer is unequivocally no. If, if I got saved right now and I walked that aisle uh, to get baptized on a Sunday morning and I plop down dead with a heart attack, am I still going to heaven if I'm truly saved? The answer is yes. Why? Because Jesus said baptism is not necessary for salvation. So what does this mean? What does this mean? This means that a believer will always want to be baptized. You'll want to show the side you're on. And so he says, go and preach the gospel. It's not to debate or discuss or entertain, but to preach. But he also says that they need to show whose side they are on. They need to show whose side they're on. And baptism is, is a post-conversion thing after you get saved. It's by immersion. It's by dunking in a symbolic form of showing that you are really a Christian. So what do we do with these verses that say baptism saves? I mean, it, it, I mean that's what it says, right? It says, well, if you don't take the longer ending of Mark, if you don't believe the sermon or preaching should be preached, then you've got an easy out. But we believe this is Scripture, so what do we do with this? Friends, you are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, for His glory alone. That's it. The thief on the cross, was he baptized? Nope. So what does this mean? It means simply that if you are a Christian and you claim to be a Christian and you've never been baptized and you're walking in, in, in stark disobedience, can I say it that way? Because the first command Jesus says to do is to get baptized. And let me just say an aside, if you've been baptized before as a child and you want to get baptized again, that's not the point. You know there are places where people will literally get baptized like every other week because they think they've lost their salvation? Friends, that's not biblical. That's just called, that, that's called to make you feel good. You are saved once. You're baptized once. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit and sealed with Him. But here you are not saved by baptism. That water up there is as Kansas City, Missouri River water as you get. And John Smith, you're in here. You work for the, uh, the water department. We survive it. We drink it. We get baptized in it, but it doesn't save us anymore then the backup quarterback will save the Kansas City Chiefs. I got you woke out, didn't I? <laughs> but seriously, you need to know that salvation is not your faith plus baptism equals salvation. Your faith is Jesus alone, Christ alone, faith alone, and that's it. That's it. Friends, if you want to be geeky-greeky about it, when it says, whoever believes, whoever is saved, that is a one-time event. It's in the past. It happens, and you're saved. And that second word, baptized, to be baptized, is a word that means that because you're saved, you're going to do that. It's subordinate to that one. If you want to be really geeky-greaky about it, Taylor, Taylor saw me in the library going over this stuff so he can at least legitimize that I was there doing some work as it goes. So what do we do with friends who believe that baptism saves? Friends, we would call that a false gospel. Can I be so clear? If you add anything to Jesus Christ, you have muddied the waters to a point. If I gave you a vial of water and said it is from the clearest mountains uh, of the Colorado Rockies straight from the source, but oh, by the way, I put a little bit of poison in there, would you drink it? Of course you wouldn't. Or I put a little bit of toilet water in there, would you drink it? Of course you wouldn't. It's nasty. 
And same with the gospel. You are saved by Christ alone. Baptism does not save you. Are we clear on that? We got that? Okay. You ready to move on? So what do we do with this? We believe what Jesus said. If you don't believe in him, you are not saved. You're condemned. But if you are saved, you will want to be baptized. Let's close with this next couple. Amy, go ahead for sake of time. Truth number seven is this is that Jesus will give specific signs. Oh, you are better be awake for this one. You ready? Verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And verse 17, And these signs will accompany those who believe. Those who are saved will do these things. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up servants with their hands. If they drink, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, for they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So, Darren, have we gone Pentecostal here? No, we have not. Friends, these are all things. Sign number, I'm just going to go through these quickly for sake of time. These are all things we believe that were accomplished, especially in the early church, are not normative now. And the apostles were able to cast out demons. Acts 16, verse 8. They did it literally. Where it says they were able to speak in foreign tongues. How about the day of Pentecost and, and the, the, the letters of Paul in 1 Corinthians? Paul also spoke to them in, in, in tongues. What about the serpent? It says the serpents will bite you and you won't be harmed. What about Acts 28, 3 through 5? Remember that when he was on the island of Malta? Uh, Paul was bitten by a viper and what happened to him? He shook it off and it was a deadly viper, it says. And it hung on his hand, but it did not phase him by God's grace. Sign number four, the apostles were not harmed if they drink. Tradition says that John on the island of Patmos was given a vial of poison that he drank, and it did not harm him. And sign number five, they were able to heal the sick. I mean, where do you go with this? Peter and John did this in Acts 3. The apostles did this multiple times. And in Paul's case, he was preaching so long. Do you remember this one? You, the, the little guy Eutychus was up in the window. Do you remember this? He was up in the window, and Paul talked all night, and they got sleepy. Do you remember this? And he fell out of the window and went, boom! Now you're awake. <laughs> and he fell down. Do you remember what Paul did to him? He raised him up from the dead. All five of these signs are clear indicators of things that have happened. Can God still do this now? Possibly. Does it happen every day? Not so much. God is able to do more above that we can ask or think. But don't, be, don't think these are backwoods. We've got a brother from Kentucky here. Back, it's not Kentucky, you know, Appalachia culture or anything like that. This stuff actually happened. But be aware that these things have happened, especially in the early church, to build the gospel and to send forth the gospel to the task unfinished of reaching the nations. We made it through that one, all right, didn't we? But I want to remind you as you as we close, don't confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. Friends, we can have a lot of success here in this ministry, but if it's not the fruit of the Lord, then we need to really examine whether that's from God or it's from us. Keep that in mind. Last thing is this, and we'll close. Truth number eight, Jesus goes to heaven and sat down at God's right hand. This is the, this is the climax. Look at verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had said these things or spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. I love this, guys. It's done. 
Why did he sit down? Because that meant it was accomplished. Everything he said he came to do was here. It's done. And our Savior is praying for us. Our Savior is interceding for us. Our Savior is ruling and governing the world for us. And he does it with all power. Now, some of y'all say, well, why didn't he send down on the left hand? Because those lefties are more blessed by God than the right handies. Well, maybe so if you're a pitcher. But God always was following what was very traditional in that day. The right hand of power was, was, was the authority. When he sat down, it was done. Yet there are so many times when we are tempted in this world, big or small, we, that we think that Jesus is somehow up there kind of twiddling his thumbs, kind of sitting on the edge of his seat like, boy, you know, like a kid that's got to go to the bathroom. Like, what, what's going to happen next? I'm not sure what's going to happen. Guys, our God says, go preach the gospel. He's with us. He's there praying for us. He's controlling it all, and he loves us. What a way to end the gospel of Mark. He is there for us. And I, I'm going to say this. You don't need a priest to sit there and intercede for you. You don't need a pastor necessarily. We are always want to pray with you. Please hear me. We don't have a special red phone in our office that says, to God, via the church. And we pick that up and pray with you. You have access to pray to this same God yourself. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to go through the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer. Some of you only know who that name is. You don't have to pray through J.D. Greer to get to heaven. You don't have to pray through Pope, uh, uh, the Pope. You don't have to pray through the Dalai Lama. You pray through Jesus Christ himself because he sat down and it's done. That's why we have an empty cross up here. Have you ever thought about that? We don't have Jesus hanging on that cross. You know why? Because when Jesus said it's finished, he didn't say he was finished, did he? He said it is finished. Love this. And guys, whatever you're facing today, Jesus is praying for you. Did you know Jesus prays for you in your greatest temptation? Jesus prays for you when things aren't going well and when things are going well, that you walk the street. So as we close this gospel of Mark, I want to remind you, God's got it. I want to remind you as he sends us out to the world with the gospel, he's lifting us up. As we go and share, he's right there with us. Lo, he'll be with us always, even till the end of the age. I want you all to just take a deep sigh and let's breathe it out together. We are done with the gospel of Mark. You ready on three? One, two, three. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for what's coming. Father, that is the return.